0: You know, it's kind of amazing because I just got done watching the season finale of the Big Bang Theory episode, season I should say, 11, and Sheldon Cooper being one of the most annoying and seemingly, I guess, unlikable characters for me, put in probably a better uh, deal here. So I'm kind of using that optimism here when talking about the Raven title reign, because obviously I've mentioned in the past his matches have not really excited me that much, but I'm still going to remain optimistic here as we talk about the show. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Brace for Impact. I'm your host, Nate the F'n Great, the Impact player of Wrestle Attic Radio, which you can find me on all social media formats at Real FN Game. So today we're going to be talking about Sacrifice 2005, which took place on August 14th, 2005, 10th, 775, and a buy rate record of 15,000. Like I said, during this time, it is a little bit of a lull for the TNA buy rates because of the fact that they're not exactly putting on some like huge shows. However, during the show here, we do get a big announcement that they are going to be talking about uh, Bound for Glory. They're going to be promoting that up heavily as the biggest show of the year. And in all honesty, I'm really looking forward to that one, which will be happening in just a couple of episodes. But today we have Sacrifice and it opens up very interestingly enough with kind of a deal where they're talking about sacrifice. You know, who's gonna sacrifice the most? What would you sacrifice for That for, you know, an opportunity at greatest? And it just kind of goes between the original uh TNA guy who does the hype deal and almost seems like it's the WWE woman that usually does like the they all will be tormented. They will be pushed to their limits. That could, it's kind of an interesting deal between the two of them. And honestly, it's not bad. It's just one of those things where I was not expecting it. Uh, but it also kind of sums up the night pretty well. So it's a pretty jam-packed deal where they talk about, of course, the tag team matches that are on deck talking about the NWA World Heavyweight title matches on deck, as well as the Super X Cup Finals, which will take place on the show. But we'll get to those matches in just a bit. Before we get into that, obviously, I mentioned this before on many of the other ones. I'll talk about this. The pre-show had Apollo and Sonny Sayaki defeating Jarrell Clark and Mikey Batts in 4 minutes and 27 seconds before event even took place that being said now we opened up this event with the eventually dubbed diamonds of the rough of elix skipper simon diamond and david young taking on the team of chris saban shark boy and sanjay dunt hey we get another shark boy sighting i am very happy about this and we open up the whole deal with Simon Diamond saying, Simon has a problem. That Skipper has been a lost soul since the Triple X, uh, since they've dissolved. And he's going to put you know Elix Skipper back on the winning track. Let's see if that happens here. We get some nice chain wrestling by, uh, by David Young and... Shark Boy. I was actually not expecting Shark Boy to pull out some of the wrestling deals in this, but I was kind of cool with that. We get a comedic shark bite by Shark Boy to the butt of the of the one young. Ex Skipper hits a buckshot lariat on Shark Boy. I'm always amazed by that. You see Simon Diamond hit two suplexes, and then he does a third one onto the ropes. That's kind of an interesting deal, but he doesn't do anything with the hips. So it was not like a parody of the three amigos. It was just one where he just did suplex, got up. Second suplex, got up. And then he throws the person into the ropes. Again, really cool. We get a springboard elbow and crossbody by Sanjay Dump to Elix Skipper. Love seeing Sanjay fly. Elix Skipper hits a reverse head scissors into a backbreaker. And also hits a butterfly suplex and a cut wrench slam. Just... Whew, Love Elix Skipper as well. The guy deserves so much more. David Young hits an end of days into like a side slam move. This was a very unique variation of that move. I was very impressed by that. Uh, Sanjay Dunt hits a springboard Horikin Rana, which allows him to get Chris Saban, who hits the inverted atomic drop, and then a Horikin Rana to Simon Diamond. Sanjay goes for a crossbody to David Young, and Elix Skipper, but gets caught. Shark Boy hits a missile drop kick, though, to assist them with the uh, crossbody whiff kind of deal. We see Alex Skipper. He goes to the ropes. It looks like he's going to do the big moment, you know, where Cat walks the ropes and does the head scissors. But again, it looks like he lands wrong, almost lands on his head. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, Skipper, you've done the one move. You don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to continue doing the same thing over and over again. You're still a cool dude. We get a flying shark to, to David Young because sharks can fly, hell yeah. But also before that, David Young hits a spinebuster to Sanjay Dutt. We see Chris Saban go for a crail shock attempt, but then some rolling pins with Elix Skipper, then finally he's able to catch Elix Skipper off guard with a jackknife for the win at 7 minutes and 21 seconds. I gave this matchup a C. This is one of those matches where I was very disappointed to see that we had some great X Division talent, but they're not given enough time to this. I think if they would have continued you know, building up the matchup a bit more, it may have done a bit more service to it. But for everything that was going into it, I still enjoy watching Shark Boy. Chris Sabin and Sanjay Dunt. Uh, Simon Diamond, you're not exactly helping your case here to have Elix Skipper you know join the Diamonds in the Rough. I'm just saying. Uh, we get a little bit of a recap in which Mike Tanay uh, is announcing with I believe Larry Zbysko that they announced their premiere to Spike TV to be on that Saturday which is kind of cool because a year later is when I would actually start watching TNA on Spike TV. So now it's good to kind of see where the Spike TV thing kind of falls into play. Jeff Jarrett, he is basically reassured that in the tag team main event, him and Rhino versus Raven and Sabu, that if Jeff Jarrett gets the pin, he's going to get his title shot. However, if Raven gets the pin, then Jeff Jarrett is not going to get a title match for a year. That raised the stakes on this matchup entirely. I thought this was a really good move. We go backstage to Shane Douglas talking to the Naturals and Jimmy talking about putting their differences aside with America's Most Wanted to beat and end Team Canada once and for all because Team Canada has been getting into their business so many times. Now, with that being said, They try to finish their promo, but what ends up happening is Mr. Jeff Jarrett comes in. He keeps talking about Black Wednesday, and this is kind of one of the weird things about it is that he keeps talking about, you know, them going to Spike. This is supposed to be a big deal, but he's the one that's kind of pulling it down, making it seem like, oh, they're going to Spike, but that means that there's going to be some people who are going to be cut from this. It's like you're kind of insulting Spike TV at this point by saying that, you know, you're going to a new network, therefore you're going to have people losing their jobs. That, what? No. This is supposed to be a great opportunity. He tries to recruit the Naturals to join his deal, but Naturals are like, yeah, no, we're not we're not interested. Up next, we have our second match of the night, which is Alex Shelley versus Shocker. Now, a lot of people might remember that Alex Shelley and Shocker faced off at Slamerversary on the previous show, they actually had a matchup in the Super X Cup, which had Alex Shelley picking the victory up, which tied the series at one apiece. So this is basically the rubber match between the two of them. Alex Servili with a leg lock early on, but Shocker with a then Brock lock, where he puts the leg above the head of of himself and then he gets into like a half crab. that was kind of really cool get some exchanging arm drags between the two of them Alex Shelley with a knee smash with an elbow thought that was a really nice deal Uh, goes over the turnbuckle and then kind of overshoots the drop kick to the floor so kind of misses and eats a little bit of concrete Uh, we get an integrity to the outside by Alex Shelley Shocker follows up by hitting a snake eyes to the apron and then a -a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker on the outside Alex Shelley with a hot shot and then he goes for a dive but Shocker kicks him in the knee and Alex Shelley just flies over the ropes It's really weird because he tries to go for a dive But then one kick sends Alex Shelley to the outside, but Shocker is able to hit a dive to the outside Follows up with a bulldog. A twisting figure four kind of deal. Alc Shelley hits a double knee to the corner and then a tornado DET to get some comeback. Shocker with a seated octopus stretch. This was a very unique maneuver. I've never seen anything kind of like that. Uh, German suplex counters a figure four attempt with small packages, but not enough to keep him down. Slingshot elbow. Uh, both with a sunset flip, but then Shelley hits a drop kick. Alex Shelley counters a pinning attempt by Shocker and he uses the rope for some leverage to pick up the victory at 8 minutes and 50 seconds. Shelley wins the feud, essentially. Uh, This was another C matchup. I thought that they had quite a bit going on for them. I liked some of the action that was going in, but I also, again, felt like they were just a little bit short with this matchup here. I think they could have gone just a little bit longer and that probably would have done better. I really do like the chemistry between Shocker and Shelly, a lot more than I did with Shocker and uh, Christopher Daniels a few months back when we had the two of them face off against each other. So Shocker's a good worker, he really is. Just still trying to find the right person that really works with him, I think is the deal. We have James Mitchell backstage. He is talking up Abyss, talking down Lance Hoyt. And really talks to down about the Lance Hoyt fans. I really love James Mitchell doing these kind of promos. Just talk about how Abyss is a monster of destruction. He's a weapon of mass destruction. Talk about how Lance Hoyt, yeah, there's two monsters here, but there's only one that's gonna be basically the true monster of TNA, and that's going to be Abyss. And just call I believe he calls them he calls. Lance Hoyt fans, rednecks, which, oh my gosh, that's, that's still funny. Uh, I love this. So we get to the next matchup. It's Abyss versus Lance Hoyt. And basically how it is, the hype package builds up as both men attack each other. And it's a battle of the big men. So literally, these two have been just at each other's throats for a while. So they thought, well, the best way that we can handle this is to have the two of them fight against each other. Makes the most sense to me. Hoyt attacks early on Abyss until he eats a shoulder by Abyss. Uh, Hoyt does a dive to the outside onto Abyss. I am just amazed every time Lance Hoyt does these kind of moves. He is so tall, and I am not expecting him to do these kind of deals. It's amazing. Does a corner splash and some chops, a shoulder charge, and (laughs) I'm trying I can't... Figure out why I have a, oh, a leg kicked by Abyss and Hoyt. We see a top splash by Abyss. Shoulder thrown into the post uh, by Hoyt. We see Hoyt go up to the top and hit a flying clothesline. Hits a choke slam and a moonsault to Abyss. That was impressive to me. Abyss then follows up with a black hole slam. Out of nowhere hits and gets a two count. We get chair introduced to this. Uh, Hoyt is able to take the chair and just boot it into the face of Abyss. And hits a coast to coast with the chair onto Abyss. Not enough. Abyss is able to hit a second black hole slam for the victory here. Honestly, I gave this matchup a B. And the reason why is because of the fact that A, of course... When it comes to a lot of these TNA matches, I've just thrown out the window the fact that, you know, well, they haven't really described you know, set it up as no disqualifications. They're just kind of letting these things happen. I know, it's really weird. But I like the athleticism that Lance Hoyt has in this. I love the monstrosity that Abyss has with this as well. It just was a fun matchup, in my opinion. And it was honestly a write-up about the best time with nine minutes and nine seconds so honestly it is kind of one of those things where yeah it could be a little clunky at times but i still had fun with it and i think that's what matters in the end but we go backstage bg james is getting interviewed because he's going to be the special guest referee for the tag match for the next one bg says that you know he is gonna call it right down the middle, but he also has his fist taped up because he's getting ready for a fight. We get Truth and Conan backstage, and literally we have Truth, he's trying to just keep the peace between the two of them. Conan says that he is not having any of VD James, doesn't even trust him, and that is essentially what kind of gets built up into the promo package where they talk about the tag match with Three Live Crew taking on Kip James and Monty Brown. And I actually said that the promo perfectly sums up this rivalry. It is long and exhausting. So for those of you that are just tuning in, let me kind of do a quick recap of this. So Kip James came into TNA and he started causing a bit of a rift between members of the three live crew, specifically between Conan and BG James. Kip is literally just saying, you know, we should get back together. We should be We should be partners again. BG is enjoying his time with Conan and Truth. Conan believes that BG is going to leave them high and dry to rejoin with Kip James. BG is trying basically to say, no, no, that's not going to happen. But a couple of unfortunate circumstances, like, you know, getting hit in the head with the guitar, not showing up for a matchup, just really having a couple of things where it's like, hmm, doesn't really help your case there, BG. Really doesn't. So, unfortunately, that is kind of why the buildup is what it is. So, we get a nice brawl to start between these guys. Uh, between Kip, Monty, Ron Killings, and Conan. All of them just brawl with each other. Kip and Brown do a splash on to K- Conan in the corner. For some reason, my notes have... have Conan have a Kip and Brown splash Conan in Corvette, which I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. Uh, Truth does his classic trio spot where guy charges at him, he leaps over the ropes, does a backflip, back splits, kicks the person in the face. I always love that spot. Uh, the go wide to Kip James, where Conan just literally spread Kip's legs out and Truth from the top rope. Just dives, leg drops it, Kip crotch. It's basically the what's up. Uh, tilt-to-whirl reverse slam by Kip to Truth. It was kind of interesting. He did a tilt-to-whirl slam, but he did it to where instead of it you know, having his back land on the mat, he's basically front faces hits the mat. It was a real spot. Uh, brown... <laughs> does this deal where he's about to drop an elbow to Truth, I believe it was. And he does the dance that BG James does before he d- drops an elbow, but obviously it just comes back to bite him. A big boot by Kip. BG misses, count, uh, misses a count when Brown suplexes to Truth. We get a kitchen sink by Monty Brown followed up by a cocky pin. Truth and uh, we see Truth and Monty Brown do a little bit of a head collision, which takes him down. Truth gets up with what I call the truth a It literally was out of range, but it literally looked like the spinner Rudy, but a Truth style. We get a rolling clothesline by Conan to Kip James. Face Jam to to Monty Brown. He is taking the shoes, and he just throws one at Kip. He throws one that's supposed to be for Monty Brown, but hits BG instead. They kind of Get a little bit into it. Conan hits a face jam, which is basically a version of the X-Factor. We see a chair introduced into the matchup. Conan wants to use it on Kip. is like, no, that's not going to happen. Kip wants to use it on Conan. And BG's like, that's not going to happen. Kip pushes BG. And that's enough for BG to just do his punches. And Conan clocks Kip in the face with a chair for the win. BG James basically helps Ron Killings and Conan, the three live crew, win this matchup at 7 minutes and 45 seconds. This was a bit of a cluster, ladies and gentlemen. I honestly wanted to give it a pity A, just because it was like the end of the rivalry from what I was hoping. But I thought to myself, I can't in good conscience do that. So honestly, I gave this matchup a D. I just really, really am hoping that this is the last match that I see with these teams. The whole thing just went way too long. It had a couple of rematches that did not need to happen. Having Kip James and Monty Brown as a team made no sense. And it just derailed Monty Brown worse than anybody. Sure, it gives Kip a little bit of time in the spotlight, but I just feel like Monty Brown was the real victim in this feud. He could have been doing so much more. He could have been a number one contender for the NWA World Championship. But no, he's reduced to being a part of this deal. But I do love his little comedy antics that he kind of does here. At the same time, I just... I'm just really bummed about that, dude. I'm... I'm making myself sad thinking about how Monty Brown was so cool when he started. And now it's just, he's just relegated to something low. The guy doesn't deserve that. I'm getting real sad. (laughs) Damn it. All right. Uh, Happy thoughts. Happy thoughts. What do we got next? Okay. So, yep. They do the promo for Bound for Glory saying it's going to be the biggest event in TNA's history. And honestly, when I look at some of the matches on there, I can understand why. They make a mention that Jeff Hardy needs to show up or he will be fired by Larry Zbysko. reason why they talk about that is because Jeff Hardy has been kind of missing for the longest time, all stemming back to when he missed his flight to have a match against Raven, the clockwork orange match, and Sean Waltman had to replace him. So, it's kind of one of those things where Jeff Hardy's just not been showing up here. So, basically, they're just saying, if you don't show up tonight, Jeff, you're fired. That's literally all it is. And it's kind of one of those things where they mention it every now and then. But it's not enough for people to really take it seriously, in my opinion. It's just... Uh, it's really rare. Okay, thank God. So, I'm also looking at a deal here on Wikipedia that lets me know the uh, times for the matches. And one of the things I saw here was uh, the feud between Three Live Crew and Kip and My Brown ended following sacrifice, and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, thank you!" I am, I'm so happy to hear that. So, I got my wish here. I got my wish. Up next, we have a singles matchup between Austin Aries, debuting in TNA, and the X Division Champion Christopher Daniels. Now, this matchup here was not. For the X Division title, this was just kind of a fan uh, participation kind of style matchup here, in which the fans chose who was going to be battling against Christopher Daniels, and it was a matchup that had Austin, It was a poll, I should say, that had Austin Aries, Matt Seidel, Roderick Strong, and Jay Lethal, with Austin Aries winning the poll here. And you might not be surprised to know that a lot of these guys are going to be showing up in future TNA shows. Especially one Black Machismo J. Yeah, here. But we'll get to him later on. So, like I said, Austin Aries wins the poll. We get a Gospel of the Fallen Angel where basically talks about Black Wednesday. He takes Austin Aries lightly and... <sighs> What's really funny was that uh, I made a note here that Austin Aries looks like mini Triton. For those of you that don't know who Triton is, he was this big guy that was just not exactly pushed to the moon, but he was kind of pushed as the next big guy to be a part of TNA. And his first matchup was against Molly Brown. And it was the first matchup that I had where I called it a fail because it was so dumb. So, for those of you that are wondering who that is, I definitely recommend looking him up. It's it's one of those things where it makes me more sad just thinking about it. But, I digress. So, we get a springboard elbow by Ares, a suicide dive, a corkscrew dive onto Daniel's on the inside. But, Daniel's is able to fight back by hitting a backbreaker. He hits three scoop slams, follows this up with... A. a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Then he hits a best moonsault ever to the back. Ares is able to fight back up. He hits his swing elbow drop. I always love this because basically what he does, he just swings his arms in one direction, does it to the other, and does this at least maybe two, three, maybe four times, and then just spins down with that elbow drop. I always loved that move. I thought it was great. Uh, gets thrown... Out and then comes back in with an elbow to the turnbuckle onto Daniels. A corner dropkick and then a side slam here. We see Daniels hit a reverse STO. Goes for another BME but misses. Aries hits a 450 splash onto Daniels. And it looks like it's going to get the victory here. But Daniels gets his foot on the ropes. Uh, Daniels hits the STO. And we think that's over. He's trying to use the ropes to get the victory, but the ref is like, hey, no, nope, no, nope, not happening, not happening. We see Austin Aries. He's going for his brain buster, but Daniels is able to counter it into the Angels' win- wings for the victory here. I cannot find my mouse. There we go. At nine minutes and 35 seconds. Guys, this is another B matchup. I really love the chemistry here between Austin Aries and Christopher Daniels. I also love the fact that it was one of those things where they decided to bring another person from, quote-unquote, the outside from another company to build into what is eventually going to be one of the best stars in TNA, despite how he left TNA in the end. Trust me, I'm going to talk about that when we get to that point. But, yeah, no, I really love this. And this is not going to be the last time that we see Christopher Daniels on the show. So this is going to be fun, ladies and gentlemen. We get another backstage promo, but this time it's for America's Most Wanted. Basically, they're going to take out Team Canada And then they're going to go after the Naturals after it is over. Jeff Jarrett once again comes in. He's speaking again about this Black Wednesday propaganda. And literally, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Just shut up about this. But Storm with, I think, the line of the night. James Storm just goes, I don't trust my mama or my third cousin removed from my daddy's side whose dog got right over. I sure as hell can't trust Jeff Jarrett. I was literally like, okay, that's a whole lot of nothing, but that was also awesome. Just a third cousin removed from his dad's side, whose dog got ran over. Wow. That, that just speaks huge leaps and bounds. Just, man, I absolutely loved it. Up next, we have... Sean Waltman taking on Jerry Lynn in a singles matchup here. They show a package of Jerry Lynn getting hurt in 2004. He he got hit with a back suplex and he landed wrong on his shoulder. That shoulder injury actually took him out for a few months. Of course, he came back to be the guest referee for the match between AJ Styles and And Sean Waltman, which, again, I've said this. This is probably one of Sean Waltman's best matches until probably now. And I will definitely speak leaps and bounds about this. But Sean Waltman, he basically just wants revenge on Jerry Lynn for what he did to him at at the previous show against AJ Styles. So, literally, that is the build-up for this. And it's pretty fair. So... We start off with a reluctant handshake between the two of them. We get a cruiserweight style opening deals where, you know, we see a little bit of wrestling, but we also see some, a lot of, you know, flipping arm ringers, arm drags, and some, you know, flipping up and down, that kind of deal. Just some classic cruiserweight style action between these two, because obviously these two guys are really great high flyers, but they're also really good fast-paced wrestlers. It's just absolutely great to see that. Uh, Lynn hits a top rope arm drag, and Waltman comes back with a spin kick, Hurricane Rana to Waltman, which sends him to the outside. Jerry Lynn dives to the outside. We see Waltman throw Lynn to the post. We get a strike off between the two of them. Some le- a leg roll up by Sean Waltman. This kind of took me by surprise. It was kind of one of those things where I believe it was Rob Van Dam who did something like this where he's able to just take his legs, grab his opponent, and kind of roll a bit and pin him with his legs, essentially. It was essentially that. We see Sharkboy, Chris Saban, and Sanjay Dunn. They are... We see uh, them on the rampway watching this matchup here. We see a -a tilt-a-whirl... We see a tilt world slam with a variation of a shoulder breaker by Sean Waltman. I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Uh, he misses the Bronco Buster, and Jerry Lynn takes advantage of this with the Hurricane Rana. A flip dive by Waltman, which I love this move that he does. Lynn does a suplex to Waltman to go outside, hits a missile dropkick. We get a Spagingo by Jerry Lynn, a Thez Press, a power Bomb. And Waltman, while the referee's back is turn, hits a low blow and an X-factor for a near three count, but Jerry Lynn gets his foot on the ropes. Waltman goes for a cross body, but Jerry Lynn counters it with a roll up for a two count. Lynn hits a tornado DET. We see uh, Jerry Lynn go for a tombstone, but Waltman's able to counter it in his own for another th- for another close three count. Jerry Lynn is able to hit a victory roll and pin Waltman with that ending at 15 minutes and 31 seconds. This was a, a quality matchup. I loved the chemistry between Jerry Lynn and Sean Waltman. And honestly, they really showcased it like it was classic. WCW Cruiserweight Wrestling, like ECW, you know, Lucha Libre style. I really liked the chemistry between these guys. It's a really, really good match. If you ever get a chance to check out Waltman versus Lynn at the show, you will not regret it. It is really good. These guys, they have a true handshake between the two of them. We get a hug and then Sean Waltman turns that hug into an arm breaker slamming him down. We see him take a chair to Jerry Lynn's arm and crack it onto him. What the, onto the rail? Shark Boy, Saban, and Dunt come into the save, and we see Waltman do the chops to West and Tanae to really be a douchebag here, like he is. <laughs> he is. We go backstage from there to a Team Canada interview, and this is where we're seeing the slight little deal where we're seeing Eric Young beginning his paranoia gimmick. And trust me when I say this, this is where we see true Eric Young in his comedic, entertaining finest, but we're not quite to that point. We're just getting the seeds of that right now. And even though he's getting paranoid, P. Williams just slaps him and says, we got this, we got this. In fact, we have this. Reveals that the hockey stick is back. Root believes that they are the better unit than America's Most Wanted and the Naturals. And P. believes that they are the better machine. And honestly, it's kind of one of those things where it's interesting because you got two teams that are really kind of trying to best each other by beating each other for the tag team titles. And then you have... Or men who have been working with each other for the last few months, it's a very interesting dynamic here. But with that being said, can America's Most Wanted and the Naturals put their differences aside to try and end Team Canada once and for all? That is going to be answered right here. Like I said, for the build up to this, we see them, you know, America's Most Wanted and Naturals and the Jeez Louise, the naturals, they want revenge. Natural disasters. This is not earthquake and typhoon, Nate. Jeez. Uh, this is where we're also getting a couple of glimpses where we're seeing the real, uh, you know, true intros here. Because in the earlier days in TNA, you would hear the announcers just overtalk the, you know, ring announcing deals that JB was doing. So. It's kind of nice that we get a break from the announcers where you actually hear the ring announcements of who these people are and you know where they're from, everything like that. We're actually getting a clear ring announcing deal here. So that I would loved, and I'm happy that they're finally doing that. So we see Andy Douglas do a kitchen sink to Eric Young. Arm drag. And we get the natural knee dog, as I call it, which is a bulldog to a knee. Pete Williams goes for an axe, but he just gets caught, and nope, he does not get it. We see The Eye of the Storm by James Storm himself to Petey Williams. I actually put down A1 doing passable. I've spoke not very highly of A1, but for all intents and purposes, when he does little glimpses of like you know, power and stuff like that, he's honestly not that bad. I am kind of think I'm starting to be an A1 fan. But I don't want to go too far yet. I just think that he's doing real. He's he's definitely passing right now. So we'll see if that changes in the future. Ch- uh, Chris Harris cleans house. He's just taking out everybody. We get a natural's Spudgingo back body drop to Eric Young. Chase Stevens tries to hop back on the turnbuckle, but he lands on Eric Young's. and that was just a rough spot we see team canada taking control chase stevens hits an uh, from the ropes to eric young who is on the turnbuckle and eric young takes a fall from second or third turnbuckle to the outside that looked rough he sold that like no tomorrow, and we see members of Team Kid, I think it was A1 and Rude, they're just hicking up Young and carrying him to the corner so they can get that tag going. Uh, Andy Douglas with the full Nelson back breaker and then a high knee. We get the natural disaster to Eric Young. P. Williams hits a tornado det on Andy Douglas. Chris Harris with a catatonic to P.D. Williams. James Storm with a super kick to Rude, who was trying to go for the Northern Lariat. I honestly was not expecting that spot. It was just one of those things where I just see Rude coming from behind. I thought he was just going to club him in the back, but I guess he was going to go for his Northern Lariat uh, clothesline, where he hits the clothesline from the back of the head. And then Storm just hits him with a super kick out of nowhere. That That was a cool spot. You see Chris Harris taking a dive out on everybody a powerbomb to Rude by uh, Chris Harris the heart attack by uh, America's Most Wanted is going on to P. Williams but A1 saves P. Williams from that spot P.D. Williams gets thrown into the Team Canada by Storm Chase Stevens thrown into Storm As, you know, James Storm is distracted, Robert Roode rolls up Chase, grabs the tights, and we get the victory for Team Canada in this matchup here. I gave this a solid B because of the fact that with it ending at 11 minutes and 11 seconds, that's kind of funny, actually. Um, This matchup showcased not only everybody in America, because Most Wanted and Naturals also showcased Team Canada. Everybody looked strong in this matchup. Nobody looked like a weak little pansy-ass, you know, bitch. Nobody looked bad. Everybody here looked really good. So that was kind of cool. And it's another win for Team Canada, which really is surprising how many wins they have actually gotten, which probably makes sense why they might be setting them up for a big-time fall in the next year. But, before we get into that, America's Most Wanted and The Naturals actually get involved in a brawl between the two of them. Security's out, just trying to break them up. And we cut to backstage, where Shane Douglas is talking to Samoa Joe. And holy shit, was this a very interesting promo. I actually... (laughs) My jaw kind of dropped a bit here, because there's a part of me that was... Not expecting what happened with this, but let me explain to you. So Shane Douglas is backstage talking to Samoa Joe, basically asking him questions of you know, do you think you could beat the phenomenal AJ Styles? What are your thoughts going into this matchup? And Joe is just remaining completely silent. And there just comes a point where Shane Douglas just berates, he just loses him about not answering questions. You know basically taking it as disrespect that he is not even respecting him to answer the questions that uh, Shane Douglas is answering. And (laughs) Samoa Joe replies by saying, I showed you my respect by saying nothing. It's kind of one of those things where I feel like Joe was definitely trying to show... You know, respect by not being respectful and answering the questions. It's really weird. But basically, it's one of those things where it's like, are they trying to build up Shane Douglas versus Samoa Joe? Because I kind of am for that. That would be kind of cool to see the franchise and Samoa Joe. I mean, in the end, Samoa Joe is going to choke him out. But at the same time, the fiery passion that Shane Douglas had during this promo was great uh, just one of those things where it helped solidify Samoa Joe as this heel that doesn't say much but he lets his action speaks for him which goes into the next matchup which is the 2005 TNA Super X Cup finals in which we have Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles The winner of this matchup here, after this eight-man single elimination tournament has concluded, will get a X-Division title shot against Christopher Daniels at the next show. Which I will talk about at the end, because it's going to be fun. Especially when I mentioned the name. Excuse me. So, the tournament highlights are actually really good. I was thinking about actually going to each one of these... uh, episodes and watching the matches in the entire... These highlights definitely showcased every single matchup here very well. We have Samoa Joe beating Sanjay Dunt and Alex Shelley to advance to the finals. And then we have AJ Styles defeating Matt Bentley, formerly uh, Michael Shane, and P Williams to advance to the finals. We have Christopher Daniels on commentary, basically calling it the Christopher Daniels... Uh, tribute tournament, I believe he's called. He basically is just hyping himself up as the dash of the bastard heel that he is. He does a great job at being a heel. I love heel Daniels. There's even a point where uh, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles during the matchup get a this is awesome chant. And Mike Taney and Don West are trying to be silent to listen to the fans. And Daniels talks throughout that deal. And Taney has a golden line where he's just like, Leave it to Daniels to take a wonderful moment like a This Is Awesome chant and make it all about him. (laughs) Just, it was great. During the announcements, they announced AJ Styles as a two-time Triple Crown champion. So what that means is that he's won the NWA World title, the X Division title, and the Tag Team titles. He's won all three of those titles in TNA. And he's done that twice. Twice. As it stands right now, in the year 2022, for those of you that might be wondering, is that still his record right now? Is he still a two-time Triple Crown champion? The answer is no. He is a five-time Triple Crown champion within TNA. I love that. I legitimately love the fact that they mentioned that he is a Triple Crown champion. And I love the fact that, you know, on here, it's showing that he's a five-time champion at the point of this recording. So, she, I, he's so phenomenal. I love AJ. I love him even more here. So, we get an early deal where Joe gets scooped by AJ Styles. And everybody's like, holy shit, did AJ just do that? Yes, he did. Uh, he goes for a discus clothesline. But Samoa Joe just punches him square in the jaw just to stop it. That was an awesome deal. Counter. i loved that uh then joe kicks him out of the ring and geez when he gets kicked out of the ring he lands square aj lands on his head and it looked rough there was referees that were checking on him making sure he was okay he seemed to be good samoa joe does a suicide dive elbow to aj styles which flies him into the announce table we get a phenomenal forearm on the guardrail by AJ Styles to Samoa Joe. This guy just can do no wrong with this thing. Um, AJ Styles hits a suplex on Samoa Joe. People are just like, holy cow, Samoa Joe, he's been stomping it for so long. AJ Styles is doing this stuff. How is this possible? It's amazing. We see a death lock with the... Reverse chin lock by AJ Styles. Very interesting maneuver. I can't remember exactly what the move is called, but I always loved this. I thought it was really cool. Joe hits a shoulder block, and then we get a Rana from AJ Styles onto the ground. AJ does a... Oh my God, this was cool. So it looks like they're going to do the AJ Styles uh, drop kick. Where he's gonna dropkick Samoa Joe? Instead, though, AJ Styles does a full backflip in the ring to kind of make up for that. But then Joe slams AJ down because he can, because he's Samoa Joe. We get the corner shining Wizard and the face wash, a snapmare chop, then kick, then knee drop by Samoa Joe. And, oh, oh, we get the first, oh, we get the first example of this. Oh my gosh, this is why Samoa Joe awesome. So. AJ Styles is going for a Hurricane Rana. Samoa Joe fights out of that. Picks up AJ with a powerbomb. Hits him. One, two. AJ kicks out, but then Samoa Joe transitions, keeping a hold of AJ Styles' leg into a high-angle Boston Crab. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. He transitions from that into a STF, and then into a crossface until AJ Styles is able to get his foot to the bottom rope some good wrestling here AJ Styles hits the drop kick he then hits a springboard reverse DDT a springboard swanton the Pele kick uh he rolls him up into the clash uh but Samoa Joe is able to counter it he does a rolling cradle pin on AJ Styles which I thought was really cool to see him do and that hits just a brutal clothesline where AJ Styles just goes upside down, inside out. We get a strike off between the two of them. Uh, AJ ends it with a kick to the face. Samoa Joe's fighting back. He, hits, he goes for the muscle buster. AJ Styles is able to counter it. Lifts him up into a torture rack. Spins him out into a slam and he goes for a pin. But as he spins Samoa Joe around on his head, Samoa Joe's leg hits the referee and the referee goes down from there. AJ's trying to get the referee up. Daniels leaves commentary. He gets into the ring. STO to AJ Styles. And basically, he's just telling Joe, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Joe's going to go for AJ, but then Daniels tries to get back in the ring and hit him with the belt. But Joe sees that and he's like, you trying to do that to me? You going to really try? AJ Styles is able to hit Daniels out of the ring, but Samoa Joe takes advantage of that, clocks him in the head, Hits a muscle buster and then locks in the coquina clutch onto AJ Styles. And this goes on. Oh my gosh. This this clutch was hold on for a while. But it felt like forever because it was just so well applied. But AJ Styles has no choice but to tap out. Giving Samoa Joe the victory here. And he gets the title shot against Christopher Daniels at the next show. A quality matchup. This was amazing. This is one of those matches that really show that Samoa Joe came here to play. It's 15 minutes and 15 seconds of absolute pure ecstasy of wrestling. I cannot recommend this matchup as much as well. There's some really good, there's some good matches on here. I'm really enjoying this. Ah, But it's also Samoa Joe and Samoa Joe and AJ Styles. They, They can do no wrong, especially right now. In, the, in this timeline, we get a backstage deal where Raven says that Jeff Jarrett is not getting another title shot. He says that Jeff Jarrett's, you know, <laughs> he's basically, you know, trying to get the title back. Like it's his, uh, chi- I call it his child calmer. Like Raven describes, you know, the NWA world title Jeff as like a nightlight or a blankie or a teddy bear or something like that. Something that keeps him Call there at ease um and that Jeff Jarrett and that he said he called Jeff Jarrett he said Jeff Jarrett is not terrifying because t- being terrified get gets him wet and all I thought to myself was wait was that was that an intended like sex joke is he turned on by terrifying but then I kind of thought about it and I was like oh because terrifying makes you pee your pants oh okay okay it's not it's not a sex thing thank thank god um, despite being enemies with Sabu they are going to win and basically you know, quote the Raven nevermore but we get this really cool shot where Raven is doing his like uh, X not his X his T pose and above him on a stairwell is Sabu doing the point to the sky which is a very interesting sight but it's kind of cool considering the two of them were in ECW, and they were just great Now, we go into the main event, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So we have Raven and Sabu versus Jeff Jarrett and Rhino. And if Jeff Jarrett pins Raven in this matchup, he earns an NWA World Heavyweight title shot. However, if Raven pins Jeff Jarrett, then Jarrett will not receive a title match for an entire year. And during this promo, he there's they're showing the hype package and there's a lot of Jeff promoting himself so much. I, I got so annoyed by this. I was like, you know what? Jeff's doing his job as a heel. Like we're we you pushed so let me compare Jeff Jarrett and John Cena in a weird way. So with John Cena, he was basically forced down our throats as a big baby face, you know, he's a good guy, he's clean, he's everything like that. I can admire that more than what they're doing with Jeff Jarrett here because he is the heel that's like, oh, you have to hate this guy. He is a douchebag. He is, he is cocky. He is arrogant. He thinks that he's the best thing since sliced bread. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh god, it's where it took a couple, maybe a year or two for people to start turning on Cena. I feel like this is just one of those things where with Jeff Jarrett, it was like immediately, like I do not like this person, and maybe it's just. Also, the fact that he's capitalizing off his deal with WCW. He was a heel ending there, so maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. But we see so many opportunities where Rhino just hits the gore on Raven. And Raven has this really good line where... Basically, Rhino and Jeff Jarrett are saying, you know, you don't have any friends that are going to help you take us out at sacrifice. And Raven has this line where he says, sometimes when you have no friends, an enemy will do. That's where Sabu enters the fray and he enters into the matchup here. So from there, we go into this matchup here. We get a bit of a brawl between these guys. Raven hits a couple of side Russian leg sweeps. On Rhino to the guardrail. That was a brutal way to just start that match up there. We get Sabu hitting a drop kick and a leg drop to Rhino. A side spin kick and then a half camel clutch by Sabu onto Rhino, but Jeff's able to break it up. Raven hits some kicks onto Jarrett, and they're fighting on the outside. They fight to the announce table. Raven goes through a trash can. He finds a pizza cutter in there. Why is it in the trash can? I don't know, but it looks way too clean to be used. How ironic, because that's where he takes the pizza cutter and he uses it on Jeff Jarrett. Again, no DQ, anything like that. You know what? It's it's whatever. It's whatever. Jeff Jarrett's busted open. Sabu hits a suplex to Rhino on the ramp. Raven is just trashing Jeff with a trash can. Sabu jumps off the chair and hits a Hurricane Rana onto Rhino while he's in the corner. I thought that was a really cool spot. I was amazed by that. Rhino then hits with a Frankensteiner by Sabu. Love that. Uh, he's going for his uh, springboard to the top rope. But before he could even make it to the chair, Rhino grabs Sabu's leg and Sabu just eats a chair. Jeff and Rhino hit Sabu in the head with chair shots. We get a Jeff Jarrett superplex to Sabu. Sabu hits a somersault dive onto Rhino from the top rope. Hits an Inziguri. Raven hits not one, but two roadie lines, as I call them, the discus clothesline, to... Jeff Jarrett, as well as Rhino. We get the Bulldog onto Jeff Jarrett, and as Raven is coming out, we see him also hit Rhino with the clothesline. We see a Raven effect DDT to Rhino, and it looks like it's going to be over, but Jeff pulls the referee out. Raven gets hit with a low blow by Jeff Jarrett, And then he wants to do his uh, guitar shot. But Cassie Riley, who's part of Raven's flock of some kind, he he pulls the guitar out. Jeff hits a stroke to Raven for a near three. Rhino is biting on Raven's head, not once, but twice. And the second time he does that, Raven's bleeding. So it was literally one of those things where Rhino bit Raven's head so hard that he busted him open. That's a scary thought. We see a figure four by Jeff Jarrett to Raven. Raven's able to overturn that. Jeff Jarrett tries to do a drop toe hold on to Raven while the re- while the chair's being stood up. Raven foresees that. He grabs the chair and just blasts Jeff Jarrett with it. Sabu jumps off the chair and he hits Rhino and Jeff Jarrett in the corner. He finally is able to do his leap deal where he runs off the ropes, jumps on the chair, jumps to the top rope, and then he hits a high leg drop onto Rhino. We get a dive to the outside onto Rhino by Sabu. I'm amazed that this man is doing as cool moves as he can here. Jeff hits a drop toe hold Onto the chair to Raven. He's finally able to hit that Raven move on him. Raven hits a Raven effect DDT by uh, Jeff. We see a gore by Rhino to Raven. He goes for another gore to Sabu, but Sabu moves out of the way and the referee gets hit instead. Sabu hits the Arabian face buster onto Rhino, which for a lot of people that are curious, he goes to the top rope. He has a chair in one hand and he does a leg drop, but he at the last second is able to hit, put the chair underneath his legs when he hits it. So that's why he calls it the Arabian Face Buster. Uh, Abyss comes out, he grabs Sabu and throws him to the outside where there's a table set up, goes right to the table. And then we hear people screaming. Why is that? Because here comes Jeff freaking Nero Hardy. He comes out, blasts Abyss, takes him out of the ring. He hits a swanton as well as a twist of fate onto Jeff Jarrett. It looks like Raven's going to get the victory, but Rhino breaks that up. Rhino sets up a table in the corner. Hits a low blow to uh, Rhino. looks like we're going to see a stroke by Jeff Jarrett to Raven into the Table, but Raven's able to counter that. Looks like he's going to hit the Raven Effect Det, but as he's about to hit it, Rhino comes out of nowhere, gores Raven into the table. One, two, three. Rhino gets the pinfall victory for his team, and people are asking, "What does that mean? What does that mean?" Jeff was supposed to get the pin. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jeff gets the title shot? Well, what does that mean? We'll get that answered. Hopefully sooner rather than later. This was a B matchup. I, I was amazed at how much I kind of liked this matchup. And it's one of the first few times where I give Raven where his props are due. He definitely was not as hardcore, but he definitely had a good enough you know, passable wrestling deal. I liked the story that happened between these guys. Sabu did his job. Rhino was doing his job. Jeff Jarrett was doing his job. Everybody came to play. Everybody came, and it was a fun main event at 16 minutes and 23 seconds. It it was fun. I kind of enjoyed it. So final grading for this show is going to be a B. Honestly, this is one of those shows that I can't remember the last time I've done something like this where I think to myself, wow, is there any matchup? That did not get any, you know, anything lo- lower than like a B. I would say, but you know, first couple matches were kind of rough because they could have gone with a little bit more time. The match with you know Three Life Crew and Monty Brown and Kip James was rough because that was just one of those things where we were just dying to see the end of that you know matchup and that rivalry. But everything else was fun. Everything else was good. Uh, I mean, you talk about Waltman and Lynn; they killed it in their matchup. We have the match between Samoa Joe and AJ Styles was great, and the main event was a good closer. It was one of those things where it leaves people with a lot of questions needing to be answered. So we find out some of these questions at the next show. With that being said, though, that is going to do it for this episode of Brace for Impact, the Sacrifice Edition, in which, yeah, we talk about who sacrificed the most. Um, Monty Brown, in all honesty, I think Monty Brown is the one who made the ultimate sacrifice because his career is slowly dwindling. and It's making me really sad. Uh, I'm I'm getting sad now. Uh, Jeez. So I already mentioned my social media. Definitely check out. Attic underscore wrestle because you're going to check out Wrestle Attic Radio where you can check out not only more episodes of this podcast but also The Kings of the Rings, the Young Lions Perspective, and Fretzel Mania. We have a Patreon. We have merchandise that everybody can definitely enjoy, you guys. Be a part of the cure of the common wrestling fan. Be positive and stay positive during this time. I know it's kind of rough with everything that's going on, But things are only going to get better. I can promise you that. Guys, next show. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. I only have to say one word, and that gets everybody super hyped for it. Next show is Unbreakable. See you next time, wrestling fans.